passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Millie is napping after spending the morning at uh, uh, outside running around. So she, uh, she got a lot of energy out. I'm sure she still has thoughts about college baseball, and we'll get to all of our thoughts. It's a busy, busy time of year. Uh, we're coming up on the final weekend of the regular season in just about every conference around the country. This weekend, though, actually, Peter, the first two auto bids to the NCAA tournament will be handed out. Uh, we're already to, to that stage for the Patriot League and the Ivy League. Patriot League Championship Series is between Auburn and Bucknell, who were the number two and uh, number one and number two seeds uh, in the tournament. And the Ivy League uh, has a new tournament format this year. They're going with a uh, kind of a regional style four team double elimination deal hosted by Penn, which won the Ivy League regular season title. So we'll, we'll know two teams in the field officially uh, by the end of the weekend. Uh, the Big West still has a couple of conference weekends left as they go tournamentless, but everyone else, this is the final weekend. So we're going to talk about where things stand in some of the biggest conference races uh, around the country here uh, this week. And uh, already it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, like I said, Peter, it's a, it's a busy, exciting time of year. This time next week, we'll be deep into conference tournament week. Uh, it's all it's all coming together very quickly now. A very busy time of year, a very fun time of year. And I will say I'm excited. You know, it's always fun to see the team's dogpile and get the auto bid and and punch their ticket. And while Auburn and the Patriot League tournament would be, it would be a sight. Um, it is actually going to be the Black Knights from Army. So, uh, uh, yes, we have, <laughs> we've got SEC. <laughs> <laughs> We've got SEC fever, um, but it, it'll actually be the Black Knights from Army. But no, it, it's a really fun time of year. You know, this is the this is kind of what while while throughout the year is a lot of fun. This is kind of what we wait for um, in the colder months and as we go through the spring. Um, it's going to be a really fun month with the conference tournaments and regional and and coming down to crowning a champion. So. A lot to look forward to. It's going to be kind of a, a race to the finish line, so to speak, literally and figuratively. And and we've just got a lot to unpack as we as we as we close out the regular season. Who who do you have in uh, in the Ivy League, Peter? Uh, the Ivy League, I've got Penn. Um, I like that whole team a lot. They can swing it. They've got Wyatt Hensler kind of leading the charge, and then on the mound, I like what they've got with Ryan Dombrowski and. And they have the pitching depth to to kind of go toe to toe. So I've I've got Penn in the Ivy, and then and then if you're going to ask about the Patriot League, I've I've got Army. They've they've they had a little bit of a scare last week and and were on upset alert, but they they wound up taking two in a row to advance to the championship series. And I think I, I find it hard to believe that they're not going to get back to a regional. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on those two as well. 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, I do think that uh, Auburn slash Army got its uh, got its scare out of the way last week. They lost the first game to Lehigh, and then they had to sweep a doubleheader uh, to advance out of the semifinals, and they got it done. Uh, they've got home field advantage this weekend against Bucknell, a team that they swept earlier this season. Uh, they went four and one against Bucknell overall. The, the Patriot League plays everyone a couple times, uh, but they swept Bucknell in, in the true three game series, which was on the road. So I feel pretty good about Army. The uh, the Black Knights uh, have been a, a powerhouse over the last, uh, you know, half decade, I guess. Uh, they're aiming for yet another tournament title this would be their fifth straight and it would happen under two different coaches now as Jim Foster moved on after last season and Chris Tracks took over and they haven't missed a beat so I, I like Army this weekend uh you know I, I I hate to double up again but like I'll go Penn you know they've been playing really well all season long really but especially recently and it's going to be interesting with the Ivy League going to the new format uh, but I do like the depth of their pitching staff uh, and I don't think anyone really can match the quality of the arms at the top end. Uh, but, you know, again, with a double elimination tournament, you're really going to have to uh, have multiple arms that, that can step up and somebody's going to have to maybe step forward that you haven't relied on as much. That that does make it that adds to, to the excitement. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll go with Penn. You've also got Harvard and Columbia. Columbia's faded down the stretch, but I, I, I think that uh, think that I'd go Penn. And with Penn, you mentioned it, the rotation of Dromboski and Cody and Zafiro, it's tops in the Ivy League. And also, if they do end up winning the winning the conference tournament and, and heading to a regional, that's going to be a sneaky team to watch. Like, they're going to have to really pitch the ball wherever they end up. But that's a trio that could pose, you know, some trouble for, for a one seed. Princeton, the other team I, uh, I neglected to mention. So your, your four teams are Penn, Harvard, Princeton, and Columbia this weekend in uh, in Philly. All right, let's uh, let's get on to some of these regular season conference races. Uh, we'll start where we always do. We'll, we'll go to the SEC. It got a shakeup last weekend. Last weekend was a uh, was another fun filled SEC weekend. And coming out of it, going into the final weekend, you have Arkansas leading the West and. You know, leading the the race for the number one seed in the tournament, they are nineteen and eight. Florida's a game back at eighteen and nine, and in first place in the East after sweeping a big series against Vanderbilt handily. Uh, I might add, LSU seventeen and nine, Vanderbilt seventeen and ten. Uh, the obvious series to watch this weekend is Arkansas going on the road to Nashville. If uh, that, that's a tricky place to play, Vanderbilt has lost back to back series now. Uh, but they play very well at home. They are still Vanderbilt. If Arkansas were to slip up in any way, Florida is at Kentucky, also a tricky road trip. And LSU is at Georgia. And while Georgia is coming off of a devastating uh, sweep at Mizzou, they have previously been very feisty at home. They won a series against Tennessee and they uh, swept Arkansas at home earlier. So now the the Tigers have to go into uh, a tricky spot in Athens coming off of a series loss to Mississippi state, which is why uh, they're even in this position to begin with and in, in having to play catch up. So another fun weekend ahead, I guess, Peter, the biggest thing coming out of last weekend seemed to be for my money anyway, was, uh, was Florida's uh, demolition of Vanderbilt. They never trailed on the series. The 
they got a great start to start it from, from Brandon Sprout. Uh, they probably would have gotten a great start from Hurston Waldrop in the second game, but Rain had other ideas and he only pitched an inning. Uh, and then Jack Caglione uh, delivered a quality start for the first time in SEC play uh, in the finale, and, and Florida comes through with the with the big sweep to move into first place in the SEC East. Without a doubt. And I think last weekend was the – Florida showed what they are at their best, and that is a national championship-type team that can seemingly dominate the other top teams in college baseball. And what's even crazier is that they did it without Waldrop. He had a nice, clean first inning on, on Saturday, but – uh, the weather had other ideas, but Ryan Slater came right in and threw well after him. Um, but it is a lineup that just fires on all cylinders. They get production from every wit from all parts of the order. I mean, we saw it on, on Saturday, primarily with Derek Fabian. Um, and, and he had a great weekend in his return and he set the tone on, on Friday when he went two for three with four RBIs, two RBI single and a two run Jack. Um, it's a very, very complete ball club. And, we mentioned a few weeks ago, we meant, and we've alluded to it, um, that the pitching at times had, had been a bit of an issue for the Gators. It seems like they're finally figuring out where everyone's slotting in, where everyone's at their best. And I, I think the biggest development has been Jack Caglione's progression as a starter. Um, we are sitting here at the end of April. He had a really rough string of four starts in a row. His ERA had ballooned from 1-7 all the way to above 5, and we were like, hey, you know, is he really best out of the rotation? Is he more of a lefty power reliever? Are they going to make a little switch here? It turns out he's really hit his stride at the right time. He's allowed only three earned across his last three starts. And I think heading into the into Hoover and, and into a regional and, and with Omaha aspirations, um, they're in a they're in a really good spot and as good of a spot as anyone in the country. Yeah, it's uh, that, that was a, a needed weekend for uh, for Florida. You just uh, got the feeling that you know, coming off of a, a, a tough week, you know, at losing it at Texas A&M, especially, you know, with the, the crazy ending uh, in the finale with the walk-off balk and getting run ruled uh, in the Saturday game for them to bounce back and take care of Vanderbilt the way that they did. Uh, and again, like they just, the whole series they controlled. Um, Vanderbilt was never really in it. And, you know, now they have a lot of momentum going into a tough series against Kentucky, which has played spectacularly at home. Uh, so I, if they, if Florida had not answered the bell last weekend, they might've found themselves in a, uh, in a pretty tight spot going into the postseason. Instead, they, they can feel really good about themselves. They can feel really good about their, chances at a top eight seed. I mean, they still have work to do this weekend. And again, Kentucky's no, no picnic on the road, especially, but uh, that was, uh, that was a big week for, for Florida. On the flip side, Vanderbilt is uh, all of a sudden in a really tough spot for two weeks in a row. Now their offense has gone pretty quiet. They scored four runs in Gainesville. They scored seven runs the week before in Tuscaloosa uh, so that's back to being a concern. And then the bigger concern, though, is the health of their rotation. Both Carter Holton and Hunter Owen were uh, were held out last weekend. Tim Corbin's update this week has been that neither one of them is out for the season, but they're both they both need time to recover. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to pitch this weekend against Arkansas. Like, don't know what will happen next week. Like, hopefully, maybe they're back for regionals, but. 
uh, as I've said before, like Vanderbilt, when they can run out their rotation of Holton, Owen, and Fitrell, they're dangerous. They're like really, really good. Uh, without those guys, though, and with now an offense that's scuffled the last two weeks, I mean, I got I got a lot of questions suddenly about Vanderbilt. It feels a lot like the Vanderbilt team we we're talking about in February and into the early to middle parts of March. Um, and with the rotation, I found it interesting listening to Coach Corbin. He seemed more optimistic about Hunter Owens' return than he was Carter Holton's. And while both are integral pieces, um, I, I think Owen has been the more consistent of the two, and getting him back would would give them, no pun intended, with with the anchor down for Vandy, but that would give him a real anchor in their weekend rotation as they head into postseason play. I, I'm really interested to see when 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 they each come back, if they each come back. Um, and I, I think that without one of them, and especially without both, their ceiling is is very, very limited. And, and that's no knock on Vanderbilt. You're talking about the two aces of their pitching staff or two of the aces of their pitching staff. And they've got, you know, they've got Nick Maldonado at the the back end of the bullpen. He's one of the best closers in college baseball. But you got to get him the ball with the lead. And the way that the offense has been swinging it as of late, um, especially against Bama and Florida, it's kind of like where are they going to get that production outside of the top third of the order? Vastine and Polk down at the bottom have been really good for him, but it's like, do they have the firepower? Like Florida can beat you if they can, they can you know, they can total four hits across a game. Two of them can be home runs and they can produce five runs. Like Vanderbilt is not an offense that's built to beat you with the long ball. So, which I think is an important factor in today's game. So I'm a little worried about the doors. I think I'm, I'm way more worried because I'm viewing them as without Holton and, or yeah, Holton and Owen. Um, But yeah, I, I, they've got to figure it out quick. And I think that uh, a strong series to close the year, um, against Arkansas and then, you know, to kind of build some momentum as they head into Hoover it is going to be a big key for them because I think that, you know, if you lose this series against Arkansas, have kind of a, a blah showing in Hoover, that's not the best way to enter into a regional. Um, and, and, and I think that that would be a team that's kind of on, on high alert if that were the case, but, um, interested to see how this weekend plays out. Cause I think that, um, it's it's a it's a serious momentum chance for the doors. Yeah, absolutely. And if they get the wrong draw in a regional, this uh, with if they don't get healthier on the mound, it's it could be disconcerting. I mean the 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 good news for Vanderbilt fans is that they're twenty three and five at home. Uh, there are no worries of not hosting a regional, having already picked up 17 conference wins. Uh, you know, they won a series against South Carolina. If it came to that, like, I'm not concerned about them from that standpoint. Uh, I think you can be concerned about top eight seeds if you care about that, but this weekend's a big opportunity. If they can just stick to that home field advantage, um, you know, find a way to beat Arkansas. The good news is you don't have to go to Arkansas. Cause again, Arkansas plays incredibly well in Fayetteville 30 and four at home versus eight and nine away from home. You know, you, you've, all of a sudden things change, uh, but they do need, they need something this weekend. And Arkansas is, uh, has a formidable offense that they're, they're bringing to, uh, to, to Nashville. They've won three straight series. Like that, that's a, it's a scary team. Uh, that, that, that's where I'm at with the Razorbacks right now. Yeah. And, and 
I think that you mentioned it, getting them away from bomb Walker where they're just six and seven in true road games. That's, that's obviously a huge factor. They're still a great ball club. Um, but getting them away from, from the, from the bomb is, is, is going to be key. And I think that might be what Vandy needs to give themselves a spark. So Kentucky's 24 and four at home. Uh, what kind of chances are you giving them this weekend? I mean, they, they beat South Carolina, they swept South Carolina at home. You know, their, their home record is not, is, is very lofty, but outside of beating South Carolina at home, they, you know, they lost to AM uh, in a series. They swept Mizzou. They swept Mississippi State. Like they swept Indiana State. They beat Wright State at home. Like th- these are a bunch of nice series wins, but like not necessarily, with the exception of South Carolina, who is reeling right now, uh, none of those teams are really like Florida level. So do you, do you think the Cats can take care of this or, or, you know, does Florida come in and, and win at Lexington? So I will say they haven't faced the likes of the Florida Gators at home this year. And while it's impressive what they've done, and I don't think that they're going to get swept, I really think it's hard not to give Florida the edge um, with how they've been playing, both you know recently and throughout the year, and the personnel that they've got. It seems like they've got it all figured out. And while Kentucky plays a really interesting brand of baseball and a unique one in today's day and age, and they're going to really try and push the, push the pace on Florida. They're going to try and steal bases. They have no problem playing small. Um, I just think that that Florida is going to overwhelm them a little bit, and it's going to be far from a cakewalk for the Gators. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that they're going to sweep, but I I I can't give the the Wildcats the edge this weekend. Yeah, I think I think this is probably a step too far for Kentucky. It is important though that they find a way to take a game. Because they're sitting at 15 and 12 in the SEC. Uh, Were they to get swept, obviously you fall to 15 and 15. And they got the number one RPI in the country. And that's going to do an awful lot when it comes time to to set them as hosts. But if uh, they got swept and then lost on Tuesday in Hoover, I don't know that they host. And that would just be a very difficult conversation for everyone to have for the committee to have for for them to suss through it all uh kentucky can really clear clear everything up by just winning one game this weekend and uh bringing a regional to to lexington i think they probably would end up with it anyway but if they lost their next four games like i things would i i just wouldn't want that to be the route you know if i was it would would just get really weird like because like you mentioned the rpi is going to be there their body of work for the most part is going to be there. But again, in that hypothetical, you're sitting at below 500 in the SEC. Technically you're 35 and 19. And it's just a very, very precarious position to be in because no matter what way you slice it, you know, if they were to get the 15th seed or the 16th overall seed and host, it's like, well, Kentucky was under 500 in the SEC. They lost 19 games. Why are they hosting? And then on the flip side, if they don't host, it's like, well, they're top five in RPI. Um, they've done all this great stuff. Why aren't they hosting? So like you said, a win this weekend eliminates all of that. Yeah. And, you know, remember that RPI matters, but it only matters so much. Like Vanderbilt had a top eight RPI a year ago, but went 14 and 16 during the regular season in SEC play and did not host. So, you know, like does 15, 15 is different from 14. Like I get it. Uh, I just, 
clear it all up this week in Kentucky, please. I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to spend the week answering questions or thinking to myself when I have a moment to think about this stuff. Are the Wildcats going to host or not? Like, I don't want that. Just win one game this weekend, please. <laughs> like, I don't root for many things, but uh, my my mental sanity this time of year is definitely one of the things I root for. And uh, I would be in a better place, personally, if I didn't have to spend any time thinking about that this week. <laughs> one more in the, in the SEC, Peter, and that is, uh, that's LSU, which stunningly, stunningly lost a series last weekend at home to Mississippi State. They were they won on Friday with Skeens again. Uh, they were up both Saturday and Sunday in the middle to late parts of the game and could not hold a lead uh, against Mississippi State. They lose both games, the finale and extra innings. They are, you know, like they, they fall out of first place in the SEC as a result. They're still in the mix. Uh, they just now need to pretty much go sweep Georgia and then hope that they get a little bit of help. It's not unreasonable that that could happen, but they have put themselves in a tough situation. They've lost back-to-back series at Auburn and now to Mississippi State. We have this conversation every week, I feel like. Does LSU have enough pitching? Have your thoughts changed after the the kind of inexplicable weekend that happened in Baton Rouge? So I was going to say, after the series loss to Auburn, I was in the camp of, Hmm. Pitching depth is going to be what gets this LSU team. If, if they were to get knocked out prior to Omaha or not win a national championship, like if you were to poke a hole in this team, that's what it is. But now I'm sitting here saying, okay, outside of Paul Skeens, there is a serious depth issue and, and an issue really out both in the bullpen and in the rotation. Ty Floyd has been, has been good for the most part. I wouldn't say exceptional. Um, he had I think a quality he, start this week. He was not the problem this week. Right. And so I think that's a, a really great one-two punch. The problem is what happens after that. And injuries are absolutely a byproduct of what's gone on for the Tigers. Garrett Edwards and Chase Shores, namely, have been out. And then other than that, and and they're going to be without him for, for the rest of the year and, and even a little bit in the next year. But um, what happens after that? It is a real unknown and there is serious arm town on the roster with guys like Christian little and Thatcher Hurd and Griffin Herring. Um, but it, it's just been really inconsistent and they haven't been able to find it. So I, I think that I am 100% way more concerned this week than I was last week. I think that not only does it pose a problem in the short term with their last regular season against Georgia and then heading into Hoover, like it'd be difficult to say that they lose a regional because when you start one and oh, and it's going to be at the bot, like I'm not ready to put them on upset alert in a regional. Um, I think that'd be an absolute disaster of a season. If that were the case, it would be yes. No but, question about it. <laughs> but I, do, <laughs> but I do question like in a super regional, like how that's going to hold up. So that's where I'm at. I'm not ready to to limit their ceiling, but it's clear that they've got their their flaws like any other team in America. Yeah, I definitely am more concerned this week than I was a week ago when I pretty much brushed all of this aside. I don't have concerns necessarily at Georgia if they lose that. If they lose this weekend, like it won't necessarily because of be because of the pitching like it might be, but like again, Georgia swept Arkansas at Foley. They beat Tennessee at Foley like they just play well at home for whatever reason. So, you know, they're they're capable of winning this without LSU handing them 
the series the way that in some respects they did to Mississippi State. I don't have concerns about a regional. Like, not only do you have Paul Skeens, like Ty Floyd is probably good enough to beat the number four that would come to Baton Rouge. And then you could have Skeens in the on Saturday night if you wanted to align it that way. And now you now you're advanced. You're you're probably two and zero. Uh, if you're not 2-0, you're in real trouble anyway. But you're 2-0, you just need your bats to win one game against a team that's in worse pitching shape than you would be at that point. So I the concern really starts in a super regional, in all likelihood. And, you know, then it depends on the draw. Like, these SEC teams get tested so much during the regular season that we poke and prod at their flaws, and then they wind up facing not SEC teams in the NCAA tournament, and it winds up looking fine for them. You know, think about Arkansas last year. Think about Auburn. So I I don't know. Obviously, they need to fix this. They need to get guys going. But this might not really be an issue until Omaha. Uh, they still have an outstanding offense. They scored 13 runs against Mississippi State. That Obviously, that should have been enough. It wasn't enough. But, you know, we're, we're in a spot right now where LSU – Uh, is holding a lot of like significant cards in their favor because of what they've done to this point in the season. Obviously what they're working with right now in the bullpen is not what they had a month ago. And that's bad. Like that, that's, that's definitely affecting them uh, and they need to find some answers and they're running out of time to do it in Uh, that said, like I feel better about where they are than say where Vanderbilt is because uh, you know, Vanderbilt also dealing with some issues on the mound, but doesn't have the LSU offense to to bail itself out with. Uh, and I do think that that offense can can bail it out uh, in the tournament, especially. It didn't work last weekend against Mississippi State. The offense should have had like did enough, but you know it wasn't enough ultimately. But but I, I think in a tournament setting, I think they'll be fine, uh, at least for a regional round. I I one I totally agree, and two you hinted at it. And mentioned that Sunday game, but that was LSU's pitching, I think, at its worst. It's been all season, and it's going to be hard to get worse than that. And yet they still almost won that game and almost won that series. And I think that people are talking about them in a completely different manner if that were the case. It'd be like, ooh, LSU had a serious scare. They still won the series. They'll be all right. So I think it gets magnified with the series loss. Um, and, and like you said, it's not really an issue that – I think will present itself until potentially a super regional, maybe even Omaha. Yeah. I mean, they win that game. They're 18 and eight. They're right there with Arkansas, like a half game off, off of the pace, but you know, Arkansas goes on the road to, to Vanderbilt. LSU goes on the road to Georgia. And like, you would feel really good about LSU's chances of winning the SEC title. So I, I, they're very fine margins. Obviously the margins only get thinner from here really, but uh, I, I'm not terribly concerned right now. It's the light is flashing, like no doubt. The level of competition that they're going to face is not necessarily like I right now I have Southern Miss projected as the number two in a Baton Rouge regional. Like Southern Miss is just as good, probably better than Mississippi State uh, in a lot of aspects. But it is just a little bit different when you're going to probably only play them once or twice in a in a regional you know, obviously Southern Miss got the better of LSU in Hattiesburg a year ago. Uh, but like, it's, it's a little bit different playing in a regional format versus playing in a best of three series. So we'll, uh, we shall have to see, but this weekend, uh, another fun weekend around the SEC on tap in the ACC, 
Wake Forest has already clinched uh, the uh, the ACC title. They did that over the weekend with a series win uh, at Florida State. It is Wake's first ACC championship uh, in the regular season since 1963. This was obviously just only a matter of time. It had been that way for a few few weeks now. But they uh, they go out, they get it done, and what a what a year they're having. Obviously, we we've said all of that before, but to uh, to have won the the ACC title for the first time in 60 years. I mean, that's, uh, that's quite a, quite a statement. Yeah. And, and it was a week of milestones for the Deeks. And while they do have their sights set way beyond these regular season accolades, it just adds to the success that they've had this year and kind of the storybook season that they're in the middle of writing. And it's, it's hard not to feel good. I mean, it's impossible not to feel good about them going into um, tournament play, but it's hard not to feel happy for the program and they've been so close so many years. And while that kind of, you know, they're still working towards that Omaha goal. Um, it really kind of feels like the year that they're going to get that done. So if, if they were able to win the ACC tournament and then continue to roll into, into tournament play and, um, and, and keep advancing, um, it'll, it'll, it'll only add to, to, to all the great stuff that they've done. But, um, they're absolutely the most complete team in the conference, borderline most complete team in the country. Um, unlike LSU, they have the exact opposite of a pitching problem with Louder, Hartle, and Sullivan. And then on offense, they might not have the video game lineup that LSU does, but they do have Brock Wilkin, Nick Kurtz, Tommy Hawk. You could really name all one through nine, and they're going to produce for you in some way, shape, or form. And they have a great home field advantage at the couch, which is where they will be until Omaha. So in looking at these teams and across the country and how they kind of project to where they kind of project to be as we advance through this next month and who they might get, Wake is is in a good a spot as anyone. So the team that Wake Forest beat this weekend was Florida State. And uh, with that series loss combined with results elsewhere in the conference, Florida State was eliminated from the ACC tournament. Their season will end this weekend as they go to Louisville. They are not going to make the NCAA tournament. That will end their, their tournament streak at 44, which matches Miami uh, for the longest streak, not only in college baseball, but in any NCAA sport, the longest postseason streak uh, is ending. To Florida State's credit, that ended on uh, Saturday. They went out and they won on Sunday, so they're uh, they're still fighting. They haven't like fully packed their bags by any means. The taking down Wake Forest in the in the finale was uh, was a big result from the Knowles. But you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about what's gone wrong for Florida State this year. But it's uh, it's jarring to say the least to see them in that position. And Oh, by the way, Louisville, the team that they're playing this weekend. Uh, if, uh, if the season ended today, Louisville also does not make the ACC tournament. Uh, now they'll have a very real chance to, uh, to qualify themselves uh, this weekend, you know, with a, a trip to Florida state. Uh, you know, meanwhile, Pitt is uh, facing uh, NC state two other teams that are right close to the cut line themselves. So, you know, it'll be a, a fight to the finish to get that 12th spot in the the ACC tournament, but uh, stunningly, Florida State will not be there, and Louisville is uh, is having to fight their way back into it 
Uh, you know, both both teams came in with really high expectations. Louisville more so than Florida State, which is in the first season under under Link Jarrett. But uh, I, I, the 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 top of the ACC standings are strange enough. Like from a historical perspective, like we thought Wake Forest was going to be good coming into this year, but historically, like that's strange. The bottom is even stranger. Right. Other than Wake and and UVA and 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 another traditional power in Miami, you could make an argument that it's almost kind of flipped in reverse with the exception of maybe Pitt. Um, and it's, it's been one of the wonkier conferences to try and figure out, like you said, other than Wake and Virginia, who for the most part have been consistent for the year. And even Virginia had, had their own little um, dry spell, but um, it, with Florida state, it was, it was really shocking to see that streak come to an end, especially with the fact that they're not even going to make the ACC tournament. Um, and I think a little bit like, I think Link Jarrett is a great coach and he's a great recruiter who once I think settles into Tallahassee and it's the biggest cliche when you have coaching changes anywhere, but once he gets his guys um, and is able to really settle in, I think that FSU is going to be in a great spot moving forward. And I think part of the, I guess, lack of success that they had this year it's a little bit of a, a, a product of the youth that they have. Obviously, Jackson Baumeister is, I think, from a talent perspective, the the most talented arm on that staff, and he'll be gone after this year as he's a projected day one draft pick. But in that lineup, you're going to return James Tibbs, assuming they don't enter the portal. Um, James Tibbs, Jaime Ferrer, Cam Smith is an excellent freshman. Strikeouts were a little high, but the talent he's got is undeniable. And then Ben Barrett has shown flashes both on the mound and with the bat. So I think that if you're a Knowles fan and looking for a bright spot, I think that you do have a great coach. I think that you have a nice core to build around with the nature of the transfer portal nowadays and Link Jarrett knowing what he needs to do. I think that he's going to go out and get some guys. And I think that Florida State, while they had this dud of a year, it's still one of the most historical programs in college baseball. You're in a warm weather state it's a desired spot to go as a recruit at a high school and as someone in the transfer portal. So I think that they're going to want to flush this year ASAP. They're going to want to go out on a high note though. I think that with the Sunday win against Wake Forest, it was admirable with the fight that they showed. Um, And then this weekend, if they're able to go into Jim Patterson and beat a scuffling Louisville team, um, that's kind of a, you know, it it really, it, it erases nothing that happened throughout the year, but that's a nice way to go out and into the off season. And I think that's something to build on, which is what they're desperately looking for. Yeah. And I know that link is, uh, you know, looking to carry some of that momentum. Uh, He talked about that after Sunday's win and, you know, so we'll see what they can do. I also know that they are one of the younger teams in not only the ACC, but I think around the country, probably certainly among major conference uh, teams, their, their youth is, is very apparent and not an excuse in any way, but it is part of what's happened, I think, to this point this season. And again, not an excuse, but Link was hired pretty late last year because he was busy leading Notre Dame to, uh, to Omaha. And you know, so they got a late start on portal stuff and all the rest of it, and they'll have a real off season this year. I think that has to help them. Uh, on the flip side, I mean, like you just can't get get past the fact that for forty four years in a row, Florida State had made the NCAA tournament, and now they have a losing record. And I don't really think it's a talent problem. 
you know, some of it could be a planning problem. Certainly, like you can you can look around and say, like, why were they going to be so young this year and, and put that on the, the previous staff? But I mean, they recruited well, like Mike Martin Jr. And, you know, he did a good job bringing in talent for years at Florida State. Like, I don't think this was a talent issue. I don't think it's a coaching issue necessarily either. I Like, I love Link Jarrett. Like, people that have listened to this podcast know how much I respect and, and how good I think he is. I just think this was a weird year for Florida State. And, um, you know, hopefully we never see another one like it because that, that program is just too big and too good to have years like this. I, it's, I haven't enjoyed not being able to look at a Florida state game and think like, Oh, this is, this is a really important series. Like it's, it, it you know, series like uh Florida state, Miami and you know, the midweeks with the UF, like I want those to be big, important series. I don't want them to be just like afterthoughts or duds or anything. So hopefully we get Florida state back uh, uh, operational quickly here, because I, I just, there aren't that many programs around the sport. I would say it's better with them. Like, I, I think that that's a, a trite cliche but like i actually genuinely do believe that with the Knowles. like i want them to be good like that that's one of the the programs that you look to in the acc and, and expect uh expect big things out of so hopefully uh they bounce back next year louisville's ugh. i mean like i was all about louisville coming into the year like we ranked them in the top five and that was mostly me uh you know you don't have to wear that peter like that was me and uh that one's that one's a, been a huge confusion what for me what's happened over the last month i guess month plus uh but the they uh they have 18 acc losses like there's almost no way they make the ncaa tournament they probably have to go out and win the acc tournament and right now they're not even like assured of uh, an opportunity to do that it's uh that one is is a real i i got it wrong and i i'm still a little confused as to what's happened there well when it comes to the ranking one i'll wear it just as much (laughs) as you because we do do it together and and I, I will absolutely wear it as much as you do. And I was just as high on the Cardinals. Um, so it's definitely not a you thing. And it's just been weird to see what's happened to them after that series with Boston College is kind of when it all went downhill. They, they swept BC when they were in the top 10 at home. And we were kind of like, okay, nice. This was a really nice bounce back week for Louisville. They had just lost a series to NC State and to Notre Dame. This is what they needed to right the ship. And then they just went in reverse. They got swept by Duke, lost to Miami, and they've just been kind of in freefall mode ever since. Um, they've lost, I think, four consecutive ACC series. And in today's day and age with college baseball, where it's a like you've got to be able to not live and die by the long ball, but you've got to have some guys that are you can look to that can change the game in one swing. Outside of Jack Payton and Ryan McCoy, I don't know if Louisville has that. And no disrespect to Ryan McCoy, um, but he's also hitting 259 with 60 strikeouts and 174 bats. So it's like outside of Payton, you've got Christian Napchuk, who I think is a really good player, um, but he's just kind of a good table setter at the top, like a slash and dash type. You're going to have to manufacture him in. And I think that they just lack the firepower that – makes up the top teams in college baseball this year. And on the mound, they've been good. They've actually been really good, I think. Um, Carson Leggett has been excellent, and and Ryan Hawks has as well. And then the bullpen is where they've struggled as of late. And you, if you look down their, their roster and you look at their stats, it's like, well, 
the back of the baseball card looks pretty darn good in, in, in today's day and age. And and their team ERA is sitting around 4.3 and, and they've got all these guys who look like they're respectable options, but it's ballooned as of late. And, and I'm not going to pin the, the, the root of the Cardinals issues on the pitching because I, I don't think it is um, at all. They actually pitched quite well. They, they pitched well enough against Virginia, I think to have potentially stolen that series. Um, but as far as the lineup goes, I, I think that it's just been a struggle to, to string together hits and, and to find runs all year. Um, and then also when you talk about, you know, coach McDonald in the future there, they would not, one, they would not think about, um, uh, about firing him at all. That that's, that's not an issue. Um, but when you start to look at some of the openings around the country, um, with Alabama opening up and, and what happens every cycle, probably some more higher profile jobs opening up. Um, you kind of wonder about what might happen there. So I think both Florida State and Louisville need this series this weekend for, I think, drastically different reasons. The Cardinals need to get into the ACC tournament um, because missing it would be a real, real disappointment. Um, and then obviously that gives them a chance to to rip off a run and, and potentially steal an at-large bid for the tournament. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, they've got to win this weekend and, and they're going to have to do it on the backs of some really good pitching. See, this is what I'm talking about with Florida state. I want this series to mean something. Instead, we're talking about it. Like Louisville needs to win or else their season's over. And <laughs> by the way, Florida state season already is over. Like, uh, it's, it's a weird year. The other series to watch this week, uh, there, there are a couple others. The, the other one, big one from a ACC tournament bubble standpoint is NC State uh, and Pittsburgh. Uh, NC State's still like, I kind of am acknowledging them as a bubble team, but like if they don't make the ACC tournament, like we can kiss all that goodbye, obviously. But uh, like if they were to sweep this weekend, go 13 and 16, like I think they probably would still miss the NCAA tournament, but like you could at least like acknowledge that, well, maybe they're still in this thing because of their RPI. But that's that's where that stands. And then Miami and Duke are playing kind of sort of for a host spot, maybe. Duke has come out of its finals break and really, really not been able to maintain its momentum. It lost a series against Georgia Tech last weekend. Uh, it's picked up a couple bad RPI losses, most recently on Tuesday against Gardner-Webb at home. I no longer have Duke as hosting, but they're going to Miami this weekend with the chance to correct all of that. If they were to win the series in Coral Gables probably would move them back to the host line. Miami is a host right now. Their RPI, they're a little vulnerable if they were to lose this weekend against Duke. So uh, important series in Coral Gables. Also, Duke just needs to recapture some momentum. They do have the air quotes home field advantage for the ACC tournament. It'll be played in their home ballpark, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, they, they need to do something over the next two weeks to get a little bit of momentum going before before regionals start, whether they're going to host or not. Yeah, and I think this weekend's the perfect weekend to do it. Um, Miami is a is a quality opponent, but I we've seen Duke at their best, and what they were able to string together um, from kind of the beginning of April up through their final exam break wasn't a fluke. Um, and it's all about kind of finally finding that again. And I, I think on the mound is where they have most of their success. They've got a quality lineup. Um, but I think pitching got them to where that they, to, to where they are now. And I, 
it's tough to give them the edge with with how they've been playing lately but but this weekend is the perfect weekend to kind of right the ship and correct course quick because the season is 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 far from a lost cause and and hosting as far is is not really that far out of their grasp i mean you mentioned a series win this weekend probably locks up a hosting spot for them so a lot to play for there and then another one that i'm going to be watching probably I guess to a little bit of a lesser extent with what in terms of the what's at stake um, category, I guess you could call it is Notre Dame and BC. I feel like what that weekend comes down to is if you're thinking, Hmm, what does BC need to do to host? Um, They've had an excellent year under coach Gambino, the biggest surprise in the ACC, one of the surprise in the country, what do they got to do to lock up a hosting spot? And I think it's win this series this weekend. And I think if they, lose this series this weekend they it's an uphill battle for them to host um but if they can take two or three from the fighting irish i think that it would and correct me if i'm wrong because you're the expert um on this but i think that would if they were able to take two or three that would almost lock up a hosting spot for them i actually do think this is a pretty notable series i'm glad you brought it up yes i i agree with you with what you're saying in terms of hosting if um they win this weekend uh, they get to 16 and 14 in the ACC if they went two and one. Uh, a lot of other metrics are in their favor, most notably RPI. Like I would feel pretty good about them hosting. Um, you know, UConn is sitting out there. They lost a, a game against Butler last weekend that did a real number on their RPI. They're down to 25. Uh, they split the the season series in midweeks and like, Again, like there could be more than one Northeast regional, but I think there's going to be one. And like BC has certainly pulled ahead and a series win against Notre Dame uh, would, would really help that. From an ACC standpoint, what they really need to have happen is BC win two and Notre Dame win one. Because Notre Dame uh, took a, a loss last weekend that they really did not want to take, or two weeks ago, excuse me, uh, when they uh, lost a a series at home to NC state. And as a result, they are now going into this thing this weekend at 14 and 13 in the ACC. And again, uh, teams in the ACC, you really have to be 500 uh, historically to get into the tournament. That that's what the committee has kind of settled on. It's been since 2016 that anybody has gotten in uh, with a losing record in ACC play. And then more notably from Notre Dame standpoint is they just don't have a great RPI right now. It's 52. Their non-conference strength of schedule is 274. Like if they go into this at 14 and 16, it's not going to end well for them. (laughs) They really need a win. One win probably will do it, but they really need a win uh, this weekend. And then they'll still probably like be bubbly. It it actually does have a fair amount of meaning this, this weekend in, uh, in Boston. So uh, another, another good series to watch in, in ACC country. All right. So we're going to move on to uh, the big 12 and beyond here in a second, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them. 
all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Peter, let's go to the Big 12. We got West Virginia Leading this conference still after a, a strong series win against Texas Tech. Uh, Tech won the uh, the opener in Morgantown on Friday. West Virginia bounced back really well to uh, to win the next two games, win the series. They're 15-6. and six. They have a two-game lead on Oklahoma State going into the final weekend. Oklahoma State also lost on Friday and bounced back to win a big series against Kansas State. So the Pokes are in second place two games out. Texas is three games out. Uh, as is K-State, but Texas is still in this thing because West Virginia this weekend goes to Austin. And so, you know, if uh, if the results broke right, Texas still has a chance to uh, to win the title. It'll probably be West Virginia. They're clearly in control of this thing, but uh, not decided yet. However, West Virginia, really impressive uh, in the way they responded to to that loss. And uh, they they came out and Really took it to Tech on uh, on Saturday, and then win a, a tighter game to uh, to seal the series on Sunday. And what kind of has been the theme of the Big Twelve this year? And it's been those themes being hard to figure out. Anything could happen on any given weekend. Really, just like kind of the pinnacle of the unknown in college baseball. The same holds true this weekend as as Teddy so aptly mentioned with. While West Virginia probably more than likely has this conference, the regular season title locked up, um, there is still a scenario in which, like, you know, all all hell could break loose with, you know, if if Texas sweeps West Virginia, if Kansas State or excuse me, um, if Oklahoma State can can take, you know, can can sweep Oklahoma, um, there's still a lot that could happen, but in looking through all of those, um, those hypotheticals, West Virginia, I think has emerged as that top dog in the conference, both in the regular season. And I think in terms of postseason ceiling as well, they are firing on all cylinders right now. They have a strong pitching staff. They have a workhorse in Blaine Traxel and they have for my money's worth outside of Dylan Cruz, maybe the best player in college baseball right now um, in JJ Weatherholt. He's leading the country in average with a 466 average. He's got 21 doubles and 15 home runs to go along with 35 stolen bases. He's walking more than he's striking out. And he obviously leads the charge for West Virginia, but you look at their supporting cast with guys like Tucker, Tevin Tucker and, and Landon Wallace. And, and they've got a strong bullpen with Carlson Reed holding it down in the back end. So in talking them through, one, I think that they're going to win the regular season title this week with one win against Texas. Um, that's a series that they very well could win as well. Um, but all they need is the one win to to clinch that regular season title. I 
I like them a lot as a postseason team as well. They've won on the road. They're 19 and seven away from home. They're 18 and six in Morgantown. Um, and they, they are a, a, a really strong club top to bottom. Yeah. Just, uh, the way that that, uh, pitching staff has, has come together. Uh, they've done an incredible job with that. And, uh, they, uh, they play like Randy Maisie always plays a, a more aggressive style. Uh, that that's kind of the, the thing at West Virginia is that they're going to run and they're going to test your defense and everything. And, uh, they're doing a great job with that. And, and, you know, JJ is like, the lead like like he is the epitome of what they're they're trying to do um and uh having having that player in your lineup has just been uh just been massive for them oklahoma state uh i was impressed like i watched a lot of the friday game kansas state really took it to the pokes uh i got excited about what k-state might be uh you know if they if they were gonna you know win one of those next two and then oklahoma state took care of it uh, I think that was important for Oklahoma State. I have them not hosting right now, but they're in the mix. Um, Josh Holiday's not happy about that. I, there was a saw a quote from uh, from him that about the Big Twelve getting disrespected on an annual basis. And like, look, maybe there's some truth in that, but also in the projections we just put out this week, I got seven Big Twelve teams in the tournament. Now, do I actually think that's going to happen? No, I like, I just didn't know how else to do it this week, and. You know, it would take some results breaking the right way for them to get seven of their nine teams into this thing. But they are going into this week. Everyone but Kansas and Baylor has a real shot at making the tournament. Nothing is decided. Like, Kansas and Baylor are still fighting for the last spot in the Big 12 tournament. There's a lot that can go that can happen. The, the conference is just really tight this year. Uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma are 10 and 11 and could really use a, a series win this weekend, but I don't even know that they need it, especially Oklahoma, which has a better RPI. TCU's 11 and 10, but could use a, still a little bit more because their RPI is a little iffier. Like K-State RPI is 51 right now. Like, I don't know how that's going to play depending on how this weekend goes. So there's a lot to play for this weekend, uh, even if West Virginia has all but won the title. I'm fascinated by the Big 12. For a while, I was I was just like trying to avoid it because I didn't understand it at all. But I am I have flipped. I'm fascinated, and uh, this weekend should be uh, should be a fun one throughout the conference. Absolutely, and I mean, as you mentioned with the disres- with the disrespect aspect, I think in looking at your field of 64, I think that the Big 12 was third only to the SEC with 10 and the ACC with eight. And both of-, of those have 14 members. The Big 12 has nine. Right. That w- they would be sending set. I think. From a percentage standpoint, they'd be setting the highest percentage yeah. of their maybe ever. That conference. might be a record. Like I, again, I I think it's probably more likely to end up with six. The bubble will tighten. Somebody will lose this weekend that like needs a series win or something. Like something will happen. It'll probably end up at six. But even if they get six, like that's huge. That's like that's from a again from a percentage standpoint. From every like they're the only conferences that are going to have more than six are the ACC and the SEC, which again, have 14 members. And the SEC isn't even worth talking about since it's far and away the best conference. Right, exactly. And I feel like in terms of the bubble tightening, I feel like whoever loses a series between TCU and Oklahoma probably ends up on the wrong side of the bubble, um, depending on what happens in the conference tournament. But as far as Oklahoma State goes and hosting, they're an interesting case because I think that one with a series win this weekend and, and, a, and, and not in – an O for showing in the big 12 tournament. 
there's absolutely a case to be made for them, and they're they play really, really well at O'Bray. We saw, I mean, we saw it last year, and we've seen it all of this year too. Really, since that new ballpark was built, the ball absolutely zooms there, and a regional would be a ton of fun if you like offense. And they're one of the most offensive clubs in the country, um, especially at O'Braid Stadium with with their lineup, namely Rock Riggio and Nolan Schubert. But no, they're they're a. I think that their ceiling gets a lot higher when you're talking about them hosting a regional as opposed to being a two seed and going on the road. Now, I do think that they're still in, in looking at them as a whole. I think that they're a quality club. Um, it's with Jerron Watts Brown leading the rotation. And, and looking elsewhere, the, the pitching is a little iffy, but you've got a guy in Isaac Stevens who has been your your anchor at the back end of the bullpen. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the Pokes, and, and I think that hosting a regional will get me a lot more excited about them. All right, let's go all the way out west to the Pac-12. Stanford locked up a, uh, a second straight conference title over the weekend. Stanford 20-7. Uh, and seven. Uh, holding a three and a half game lead on both Oregon State, which is done in Pac-12 play, and Washington. This is Stanford's, uh, like I said, their second straight title. They are the first team to go back to back Pac-12 regular season titles. Of course, uh, for the most most of the Pac-12's history, they've only been regular season titles. The conference tournament is a very new addition. But anyway, first back to back regular season title in the Pac-12 since Oregon State did it in 2013, 2014. First time in a decade that that somebody's been as consistent at the top as, as Stanford has been, and uh, you know, all year long, this is a really good team. We've been over Stanford a lot. You know, they're uh, they know who they are. They're a really good offense. They've got some top line pitching. They what they lack in depth on the mound, they certainly make up for in top line talent. And they've they've been the best team all season out west. Dave Esker again, another great job in putting this team together and, and getting them to a, a second straight title. Uh, there's been a lot of great coaching jobs out West. You know, you look at what the first year coaches have done and, and they're really impressive, but, but David Esker uh, again delivers for, for Stanford. 100%. And we've seen it with Stanford time and time again. It's like, you kind of wonder about them a little bit at the beginning of the year. It's like, you know, are, are they the Stanford teams of the past where, you know, they're going to, they're going to go on a run to Omaha. Do they have that type of ceiling? And then all of a sudden you look up and we're in May, they just clinched their second straight conference title. They're playing their best baseball at the right time, which I think is a really, I'm trying to find the adjective. I, I think it's a really special and unique trait that coach Esker and his staff have where they get, the best out of their players at the best possible times. Um, and like you mentioned, I, I, they've got the front of the line ace with Quinn Matthews. Joey Dixon has pitched well as of late. And Ryan, I think the most un, like the most underrated development, I think has been the progression of Ryan Bruno throughout the year. And command has been an issue with him for the entirety of his college career. And he was really struggling through through his first appearance in April, and then it all clicked for him. He had stopper of the year type stuff. He had a little hiccup against Arizona on on Sunday, but honestly, who didn't? Um, with it, it was twenty one to twenty, there was no pitching at all. Um, and I think getting him back to 
the excellent form that he has shown as of late has, has, has been and will be a key for the Cardinal. And you couple that with them having probably the most offensive club they've had in a while. And I think you've got a, another, I think you might be looking at a three P in terms of making it to Omaha. Yeah. I, uh, I certainly like Stanford to, uh, to get back to Omaha again, and then we'll see what they're able to, uh, to get done out there. They have not had the same level of success in Omaha as they've had in Pac 12 play, but um, I, I do like this team's chances in the NCAA tournament and even within the, uh, the college world series. Uh, last weekend we had Washington and USC scoring big series sweeps uh, that, you know, for UW, I think that basically put them in the tournament. Um, I'm not like, I haven't made a decision about whether they're locked yet, but like they're, they're all but in, I would say uh, and they may well be locked in when I, when I do bubble watch um, later today slash tomorrow. USC is in a little bit more of a precarious position, despite the fact they now have 16 Pac-12 wins. And that entirely relates to how bad they are on the road versus how good they are at home. It's remarkable. They are 26 and six at home. They are 6, 13 and one on the road, and they have to go to Arizona this weekend. They have some RPI issues, I would say, in that they're 56 in RPI. Their non-conference strength of schedule isn't good. The West Coast generally gets a little bit of a dispensation there. But if USC went out and laid another egg away from home over the next two weeks, like I don't think that would reflect well on their their chances uh, to get into the tournament. But they definitely got a big boost last weekend. And uh, if they can get something in Arizona this weekend or even next week at the Pac-12 tournament, which is, again, in Arizona, the Trojans have really made, made things interesting here. And on the flip side, Arizona State and Oregon, the two teams that got swept, it was it was a real ding on both of their resumes. I think in some respects, they're both facing must-win series this weekend. ASU goes home. That's good news for them. They play a lot better there. They play UCLA, which is reeling still. Uh, and Oregon goes to Utah. No team from the Pac-12 has gotten in without a winning conference record since the conference expanded to include Utah more than a decade ago. That would indicate both ASU and Oregon need series wins to get to 16. However, because the Pac-12 tournament is a new thing and those two teams both have, well, especially Oregon has a good RPI. ASU is in some some RPI issues. I don't know how well that's going to go for them, but I would highly advise both the Sun Devils and the Ducks to, uh, to win this weekend and breathe a little bit easier going into the Pac-12 tournament. Absolutely. And with Arizona State, especially, we were sitting here, and it was actually a day that we podcast as well, on April 26th. Um, they were not out of the, the hosting mix at that point. Um, and since then, it's been full freefall mode. They lost to Fullerton to split their midweek series. And they've since lost three Pac-12 series in a row and have been swept in two in a row. And the the bottom's kind of falling out a little bit. And while it would be a it, it's still been a successful season for Coach Bloomquist, and I think he's ahead of schedule in in rebuilding that program back to to national prominence, they need a series win in the worst way possible this weekend against UCLA because as you said, I a sweep would be disastrous, and that would leave them, I think, for sure on the wrong side of the bubble. Yes. Um, but even a series loss, I think, puts them in serious, serious danger zone territory. You mentioned the 
the kind of the lack of RPI prowess. They've struggled on the road. Um, it, it would put them in a really difficult spot. And I think with USC, um, it, it would be a little bit kind of like Washington last week, a series win against Arizona on the road would, would get them in a really good spot as far as selection Monday is concerned and, and, and put them in a, in a relatively safe spot for the tournament. So there aren't a ton of, I'd say marquee matchups in the pack, but there are certainly a lot of high stakes um, with USC, Arizona and UCLA, Arizona state and UCLA. um, They, I mean, they need a sweep this weekend, I think to, to vault themselves back into tournament contention. And, and, and honestly with UCLA, it's been, a disappointing year for sure. I do think that injuries have a lot to do with that, but um, they they need to pull a rabbit out of their hat and somehow sweep Arizona State on the road where the Sun Devils, the Sun Devils actually have played well at home. So easier said than done, um, but I think that that's UCLA's last hope for a potential at-large. I'll be interested with uh, Oregon. Uh, Jason Stofall has missed uh, back-to-back weeks. They're a lot better with him than they are without him. And uh, the the word out of Eugene is that he's unlikely to pitch this weekend. And uh, it's it's just, he was so good for them. And they've definitely missed him the last two weeks. If, if, uh, if they get him back before the postseason, that would be really good news for the Ducks. Um, but it's, it's been unfortunate to see him, uh, see him sidelined. Yeah, and I think that with Utah this weekend, going to Utah, if they were without Stofall for another um, trip through the rotation. I think that they could still notch a series win, potentially a series sweep uh, at the Utes, but I think that they really need him back for that postseason push as you start to talk about the Pac-12 tournament and then regional play. I mean, that's a piece that that they need if they want to get to to where they want to be. It's a uh, finger injury for Jace Stofall. That's, uh, uh, that's what he's dealing with right now um, is, uh, is the word from Mark Wazikowski. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if he pitches this weekend. It would be again. It would be a big deal for Oregon to get him back. We'll have to wait and see on that one. To the Big Ten, you've got Maryland and Indiana tied. They are fifteen and six. Maryland holds the tiebreaker by virtue of destroying the Hoosiers in Bloomington earlier this year. Iowa is a game and a half back at thirteen and seven, and Rutgers and Nebraska both are. Oh, and Michigan all thirteen and eight, but. It's probably going to come down to IU and Maryland. Uh, Maryland goes to Penn State. Indiana goes to Michigan State. Iowa is at Northwestern if if somebody slips up. Uh, Michigan State in a bit of a free fall. They've they've really hit the skids the last couple weeks, and now they have to deal with Indiana, and Penn State is uh, on an eight-game losing streak going into this weekend against Maryland. So, it seems likely that this is going to come down to Maryland and Indiana. Uh, I'm surprised a little bit that uh, it's only, you know, that, that it's a tie at, at this point, but uh, that makes for a, a big time finish this weekend in the big 10. Yeah. It makes for an exciting finish. And I think both given the fact that they own the tiebreaker and who they're playing this weekend, I I do give the edge to the Terps um, at, at least this weekend. And then when it comes down to it, um, I, I give it to them um, long term, and then with the with the Big Ten, as far as the tournament's concerned, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What is the likelihood that a team like Iowa is is like last year's Rutgers? Because you look at the Hawkeyes right now; their record is great on paper, 
Um, and then in talking about one of the elements that matter, you know, their RPI is in a really good spot at 29. What, what is the likelihood in the end that the big 10 ends up with three teams in the tournament? Well, so I've been concerned about Iowa like all year because of their schedule strength. Their non-conference schedule rates at 174 or thereabouts. Uh, and that is right in the range of what did in NC state a year ago. I think Rutgers was even worse, but so yeah, it's uh, it's not optimal. I do think that at this point, Indiana and Maryland are, I want to say they're locked up, but like Maryland's RPI is 49. Maybe be a little more concerned if I was Maryland than if I was Iowa. Like I, none, none of them should breathe breathe easy though, I guess is is the end, end result of this. The bubble looks a little more forgiving this year. Like I said, like I, right now I'm projecting seven big 12 teams in and I, I don't earnestly believe that it's just the way that it looks right now. I think it's bad news for Rutgers. Again, I, I Rutgers is like sitting on the bubble with an RPI of 50. Their strength of schedule is better, but they've done very little against high end competition. Uh, if you're Iowa, you can point to the fact that you're five and six against top 50 RPI teams. That includes a win against LSU. It includes a win against Indiana state. Like uh, they, won a game against Texas Tech. Like they, they have some nice things going for them. I think that they should be in reasonably good condition. Maryland also has some good high-end wins. Again, like I, I think the biggest concern is Rutgers. I feel okay about three, but I also felt great about three. Uh, you know, I felt good about Rutgers going into selection Monday and then was stunned a year ago. So I, I think that there are some trouble spots with everyone's resumes. Uh, in the Big Ten, and as a result, like nobody should feel terribly easy breathing easy. Indiana in the best spot of of the group, but um, and I think if Maryland wins the regular season, they'll be fine too. But the the Iowa and the Rutgers of it all is uh, yeah, it, it it's probably going to be an uneasy week uh, if they uh, make a quick exit from the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, and and hearing you talk through all that is is interesting, and it kind of it's a little bit what I was thinking as well, where they probably get three in. Um, Rutgers is probably on the outside looking in as of now. Um, then with with Iowa, what's interesting, and I I hate to keep talking about it, but it's it's just the reality of it. Unfortunately, um, they are without Keaton Anthony, um, no, most notably, and also some other members of the roster due to some off the field stuff, and I think that. While it's still to be determined if they get him back, um, that's their best player. And while they've played well without him, I think that once you start talking about the Hawkeyes in a regional setting and, and even the conference tournament, um, that loss is going to eventually come up, come uh, catch up to you. Um, so I'm interested to see how that all plays out. It doesn't. I don't. I haven't heard anything, and on on that front, it seems to be be very tight lipped. Um, out of Iowa, but I, I'm not sure if they're going to get him back this year. I feel I, like... I don't think they know. Like, yes, nothing has come out, but they, uh, I, I think they genuinely aren't really sure. Um, you know, they'll, if you ask them, I think their standard line is just about like ongoing investigations and right. whatever. I'm not sure. I don't know that they know. The most recent thing I saw from anyone in the situation is remember Iowa State's going through the exact same thing. They just don't have baseball, so we don't really pay attention to that side of it. But 
Iowa State's wrestling coach uh, spoke publicly on the record. And among other things, he said that he thought it would end up with like his athletes getting having to sit some time. Now, he didn't know how much. Obviously, you know, the, there's a difference between if the investigation is actively happening while Iowa baseball is in season versus, uh, you know, by the time wrestling season comes along next winter, hopefully this will be resolved and they'll know like how long to sit them for. But uh, it is uh, it's a tricky spot that the Hawkeyes find themselves in. Uh, the good news is this weekend they're at Northwestern, which is in last place in the Big Ten. So they should be able to pick up three wins, but it's not going to help their RPI at all. But they at least should be able to uh, to pick up a sweep going into uh, the Big Ten tournament. All right, let's go to the Sun Belt, where, again, we have a tie atop the uh, the conference standings. Southern Miss and Coastal are 20-7. and seven. Coastal owns the tiebreaker by virtue of their series win against uh, against the Golden Eagles. Marshall comes to Coastal. Last place, Marshall comes to Coastal this weekend. And Southern Miss hosts Louisiana Lafayette. So obviously you feel good about Coastal being able to uh, finish this thing off. Also, they're playing for like top eight seeds. Southern Miss maybe not out of the hosting conversation, though it won't be easy for them to uh, to get into it at this point. More notably, coming out of Hattiesburg this week was the news that uh, Coach Scott Barry is retiring at the end of the season his 14th at the program's helm. He's the winningest coach in program history. Uh, They've won four conference titles under him. They went to super regionals last year. Obviously uh, his impact has been uh, profound and uh, you know, Southern Miss has been one of the most consistent programs in the country over the last decade plus. And uh, Scott Berry is uh, certainly an institution um, in, uh, in that program's history now, but, Will that give them a boost this weekend against the Cajuns? We'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But they're uh, they're right there in it as uh, as we go into the final weekend. Yeah, and and congratulations to Coach Barry on an outstanding career. He is one of the best coaches in the country, and also an exceptional human being, which I think makes people like that way easier to root for and to pull for. Um, and Southern Innies had some excellent clubs to boot, so. They've got a difficult weekend with Louisiana, as you mentioned, Southern Miss. I mean, Coastal gets Marshall with Southern Miss getting Louisiana. So I, I think I do give the edge to the Shants, um, both in terms of the opponents that they've got and then also the tiebreaker is a big deal as well. So while the Shants, I think, come away with a regular season title in the Sun Belt, um, it's going to be an interesting conference to to monitor in terms of the at-large situation um, because while I think Southern Miss and Coastal are safe, um, you start talking about teams like Louisiana and Troy and whether or not they get in. So Even Texas State. Even even Texas State as well. So um, it's it's a it's a fun conference and, and it's they it's a really, I think, underrated conference because you look at the top half of it, even beyond the top half, and there are a lot of quality teams, even Old Dominion in, I think, seventh or eighth place right now. Um, They're still, I think, a, a decent ball club. So um, far from kind of your typical mid-major. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, we, we thought they were going to take a step forward. Uh, this season, they absolutely have as a conference, and you know some of that is the additions that they've made, but also like a team just like 
Coastal, uh, which already was in the league, you know, coming through and in the way that they have this year. And we know that they have that in them, obviously, but the the, the season they're having is a big part of it. Uh, the fight just to get into the tournament is, uh, you know, probably over. I, I, I think that uh, it might even be totally over. South Al might have been eliminated last weekend, but the, the 10 teams that are going to go to this conference tournament, all of them are very good. You know, even you get down to the bottom with Georgia State and Georgia Southern, like they they can make lives very difficult. Uh, and you know, we saw an upset in the Sun Belt tournament last year when uh, Louisiana won the thing, stole a bid. Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that that would happen again this year. Uh, so, a, a, a conference to keep an eye on this weekend, but also next weekend is uh, as they go to Montgomery. Last conference I wanted to touch on today is the American. And this is one we haven't spent a whole lot of time on this year, but it's uh, it's an intriguing one going into the final weekend. Uh, you've got Houston in first place, 15 and five. You've got ECU in second place, 15 and six. Wichita State still in it at 12 and eight, uh, but definitely behind. Uh, they own the tiebreaker on the Pirates, but not on the Cougs. Um, so probably coming down to Houston and ECU, UH gets Cincinnati at home. ECU goes to South Florida. Neither one of those is, you know, we're, we're talking about teams in the bottom half of the conference standings right now. Um, UH does own the tiebreaker. I guess it probably won't come into focus because they've played an uneven number of games, but the Cougars uh, in their final season in the American, before they go off to the big 12, they might, uh, they might finish this out with one last regular season conference title. Yeah, and, and typically when people think of the American Conference, the American Athletic Conference, in, in talking about baseball at least, everyone immediately jumps to ECU and them running the conference. And I think that if, if they were to win the regular season title, I think it would be their fourth or fifth consent. Bottom line is they've had a they've had a dominant run atop the conference standings for a while now. Um, and it would be a great achievement for the Cougars to – to kind of knock them off the throne. And while I do think that anyone not named ECU probably needs a conference tournament win to get into the tournament um, when all is said and done, um, it would still be a nice way for the Cougars to go out, as you mentioned. But I do think that in looking at it from a, from a broader standpoint in talking about the actual teams themselves and not, and not their records, I think that ECU is absolutely the, the best of the bunch, even though they, they don't own the tiebreaker. Um, I think that they they've they've got the the deepest roster. Yeah, that offense is uh, is scary. They they played a very exciting game against Campbell on uh, on Tuesday night, and uh, you know they that that full the full offense was, was on display when you get Jenkins Cower going and and Moylan and, and like it's uh it's a it's a deep offense. They they fell short against Campbell, and that probably is going to like I ECU's not done as a host candidate, but they they really would have benefited from winning that game from an RPI standpoint, and that would have boosted their hosting candidacy. Um, if they go out and win the conference tournament, like I think ECU might might sneak in there as a host still, but we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. The Cougars, you know, before ECU really took over this, you know, Houston was kind of running the deal. At a, you know, when the when the conference was created, Louisville was still in it. They were the best team. They, they spent a year there, and then they moved on to the ACC, and then Houston had the the very early years of this conference it, it was a lot about Houston and so if they can 
if they can close out their time, like I, I think it would be a nice full circle uh, for, for the Cougars within the American. Uh, but you're right. Like if they don't win the conference tournament, their RPI is 93 right now where like it's not even worth discussing their at-large chances. Uh, that's unfortunate that that's where we're at and that that's where the American is at. Uh, this used to be a multi-bid league and it's just not been that way lately. But I, I think it's fun uh, going into the final weekend. It's fun seeing Houston and, and Wichita State up here with ECU uh, to, um, you know, not of the biggest brands, but Wichita State holds a lot of history and and Houston, again, has um, you know a different kind of history. It doesn't have the national championship that the Shockers have, but they uh, they certainly have a fair amount of tradition as well. So uh, one one final conference race to uh, to watch this weekend as we uh, as we get ready for, again, a massive final weekend. Uh, around the uh, around the country in terms of uh, the regular season. Yeah, and at, I agree with all of that on the American. And I hate to go on an aside here, a little bit of a a little bit of an aside at least. But you mentioned it with ECU losing last night, how it kind of damaged their hosting chances. It made it a real uphill battle. But on the flip side, with Campbell winning it, their RPI is now nineteenth. They're forty and eleven. Their non conference strength of schedule is ninth. And they're seven and five against RPI top fifty teams, and I know that right now in the latest projections they're a two seed. What do the Camels have to do to to host? Is it now? Does it now create kind of a domino effect where like if BC loses to Notre Dame, does Campbell now slide up, assuming they continue their absolute dominant run of the Big South? I, I, I think it's as is always the case. There are just a lot of like fun, interesting storylines that create a domino effect. So I think the tricky thing at this time of year when I create this thing is like, am I doing it in the moment or is it still a projection? And it's still a projection, right? Like that's that's the official name of it. It's projected field of 64. In the moment, you can make a really strong case for Campbell as a host. RPI in the top 20. You mentioned their strength of schedule, which is very strong non-conference. Like their overall strength of schedule isn't great, but whatever. Uh, they have... A series of big wins, uh, you know, seven five against the top fifty. Uh, their road record is has been quite impressive uh, as well. They're in first place in the conference. Uh, all of that says that they're very much in the race. And even if you don't want to compare them to like say Miami, you just put them heads up against Indiana State and DBU, which are more, uh, you know, that's more apples to apples comparisons. Uh, they would fare pretty well, like. If you look at DBU and Indiana State, their big knocks are the fact that they haven't won those big time games. They both only have two wins against the top 50. And uh, that's definitely something that's going to come up in the committee room. They both have better RPIs, though. And they're both they've won their their own conferences. So a lot of similarities there. Better RPI. That's why I went with them. The other issue with Campbell is that they have to make up this RPI ground on at least those two teams, I feel like, uh, and they're doing it. They, they get uh, South Carolina Upstate this weekend, which is the second best team in the conference, but even that's RPI 96. On the road, it's not going to help. It can basically only hurt. Uh, and then they're going to go to the conference tournament where any loss is problematic. I don't want to sit here and say Campbell has to win out to host because I don't think it's that simplistic, but I think they probably have to win their conference tournament. I cannot imagine two more Big South losses playing their RPI in a way that's 
helpful in any way. Um, if DBU and Indiana State and Miami all slipped up, like, sure, maybe they, they, they can sneak in there without uh, without winning out. But I, I just I think they have to win the Big South tournament. I would obviously assume that they will, but I would also assume that Indiana State and DBU would win their conference tournaments. So they're, I, I think Campbell needs a little bit of help. I think they're very much in this thing. I also don't know, and the committee has at times shown that it clearly doesn't play into it, there are a lot of potential hosts in Campbell's neck of the woods. You know, there there's Duke, there's ECU. Um, you know, right now I don't have them hosting, but they're in the mix. There's Wake. There are three potential hosts in South Carolina. There's UVA, which isn't that far away either. Like we're over indexed in the Carolinas and Virginia. Uh, Indiana State would provide balance. DBU would provide balance. Like it's crazy, but if DBU doesn't host, there might not be a Texas host unless the horns get really hot for the next two weeks. Like DBU is the best chance for the state of Texas to have a host. And that's a place that you could kind of need one um, from a just a geographic building, the, the bracket kind of thing. And again, the committee typically doesn't care that much about geographic distribution if you look at their history, but I do think that kind of matters. So I, I think that Campbell is fighting against some things here. I, I think that they've, they've got a real shot at it, uh, but the margin for error is, is very limited and they might actually need some help from some other teams. Right. And hearing you talk through all that is a reminder to me even just how many factors are at play when you start talking about who's going to host and who isn't going to host. I mean, sure, there are the main ones. You've got RPI, um, non-conference strength of schedule, record against RPI top 50 teams. Those are kind of the big ones um, for sure. But then you get into the nitty gritty where you talk about the geographical nuances of all of this. And, and it's a whole, it's a lot to unpack. And I think that one, for sure, they need to win the Big South. I think that for as good as Campbell's season will have been, even if they don't win the Big South, I think it's really going to be difficult for the committee to justify a non, like, like a non-Power 5 team that doesn't win their conference to host. I think that they absolutely have to do that. Um, and then I think when you get down to it, like you said, and looking at Indiana State and DBU, comparing them to Campbell, kind of the other mid-major teams in that hosting. I mean, you can't even really call DBU, I think, a mid-major, but technically they are. And in comparing their resumes to Campbell, what they lack in wins against top 50 RPI, they make up for in the RPI themselves. So there are just a lot of ways you can slice it, uh, kind of a lot of ways that this thing could go. Um, and, and it's just going to be all the more interesting to watch it all unfold. The, the tricky thing with all of this before we get out of here is that I can look at it and come to one conclusion. Somebody else can look at it and come to another conclusion. The committee has several people that have to come to a conclusion together. They have to come to a consensus. And so I'm sitting here and I'm saying like two and nine versus the top 50 for Indiana State, like, you know, not optimal, but I don't care that much about it. Or I think they won't care that much about it. I think they'll care about their number three non-conference strength of schedule. I think that they'll care that they're 18 and seven on the road. I think that they'll care that they're number 12 in RPI. But that doesn't mean that they don't get in the room and they sit there and they look at DBU and Indiana State with just two top 50 wins. And oh, by the way, neither one of those teams can add any more top 50 wins. That's set, as is Campbell's record against the top 50, unless somebody falls in or moves up. Like that is a bit of a moving target. But the point is the Missouri Valley and Conference USA 
and the Big South, none of them are providing these teams with a platform to add to that total. It, it just is going to have to come from RPI moving around over the last two weeks for those numbers to change. So they can't prove themselves any better than they already have. So I'm sitting here and I'm saying like two and nine against the top 50, two and seven against the top 50, whatever, man. Like historically, these other numbers, I feel like have mattered more, but every committee's different. Uh, we hadn't really heard non-conference strength of schedule talked about as much as we did last year before last year. Uh, it was something that was always on the team sheet. They were always like aware of it, but like it was actually explained as the reason why NC State got left out. Maybe this year, they'll become obsessed with top 50 or top 25 wins. Like that's also on the team sheet. Maybe that'll be enough to ride Campbell to the top. And, you know, so I, I'm trying to read tea leaves when I do this. Uh, but like, I'm also like trying to read tea leaves based on historical precedence. And that's usually right, but it's not always right because every committee is different and every year is different. And so that, that is something to, to keep in mind here. You go somewhere else, somebody might tell you like, hey, Campbell's in great shape because they got those big wins. Uh, and DBU and Indiana State are in trouble because they don't have them. We'll, we'll have to see. The biggest thing for all three of those teams is not taking bad losses the rest of the way because all of them have fine RPIs right now, but their RPIs are more vulnerable than major conference RPIs because... You know, you go to the SEC tournament and you lose uh, one game on Tuesday and you're done. You lose two, but you, or even if you pick up two losses along the way, like they're going to be good RPI losses. They're not going to hurt you. Same in the ACC, similar story in the Big 12 and, and even in the Pac-12, although less true out there. But like these other conferences, you lose two games, you don't win your tournament, and all of a sudden like your RPI can really take some hits. So uh while these major conference teams get to look around at their conference tournaments and say, do we want to actually like use our starting pitchers this week or do we want to like rest? Uh, they can make those determinations. These teams, they actually have to go out and they have to win. Right. And DBU this weekend with Western Kentucky RPI of 167, Missouri State um, going to Indiana State, a little bit of a better RPI at 69, um, I believe it is. And then obviously we talked about uh, South Carolina Upstate and Campbell. Um, with the um, Spartans RPI in the 90s. So like you mentioned, they've, they really, I mean, you kind of have to sweep and they really can't afford to have a series loss because I think that would all but, um, all but end their hosting chances effectively. Yeah. And uh, like, I would love to see, I especially like DBU's hosted before, but they've only hosted once. It's still like, that would be cool. I'd love to see Campbell or Indiana state. I really want one of those two to host. I think that would be special. You know, I especially think it would be special at Indiana State. Midwestern baseball has a special place in my heart. But but Campbell, the growth that they've done, the way that they've built that program, like that would be a great reward for what the program has done. And it, same is true for Indiana State. Um, we're not going to get into this now, uh, at like 90 minutes into this podcast. But like this is also part of the argument for 32 host sites. Because yeah, and <laughs> if if they if there were thirty two host sites, if if they played best of three series throughout the tournament, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Indiana State, Campbell, like DBU, as long as they didn't fall on their face over the next two weeks, they would know postseason baseball was coming there, and that would be really exciting for their fans. Instead, you know, we have this. Uh, are they going to do it? Like 
two and nine against the top 50. Is that good enough? Like, like, come on, man. Like they're 35 and 14. They're 21 and three in the Valley. Like the Missouri Valley is not the SEC. I get it. But like, come on, they're 21 and three. Like, what do you want from them? Right. It's like, <laughs> like we shouldn't be like, like splitting hairs about a 40 and a, like two 41 teams in DBU and Campbell. And then Indiana state who was absolutely dominated a, a really solid mid-major team, mid-major conference and have won 23 of their last 25 games. So Again, this is kind of like when we started talking about trees that one podcast episode. But <laughs> I mean, Indiana, Indiana State, last thing I have on this, 31 games they've played away from home, 25 true road games. Like, do you know how hard that is? Like, come on. And like, just give them some home baseball in the postseason. And like, I, I'm not saying just give it to them. Like, they've earned it. And maybe they won't have earned it in two weeks when you have to determine 16. But if there were 32, man, like they've earned that. And I personally have kind of come around to the belief that three game series in the postseason would be better, like figure out a way to make it happen. Like whether that's lop a, se- a week off of the regular season, start the season earlier end the season later, whatever. I don't really care how we manage it. Um, but like, this is part of the reason why, because Campbell, DBU, Indiana State. These guys have had successful seasons. Right now, if you look at my projections, I have Campbell going to Clemson to start the NCAA tournament. What kind of reward is that for a 40-win team? You know, like, <laughs> that's crazy. Like, exactly. let them let them actually earn a reward for this. But, like, there they are. Like, And because of the way that the tournament works and bracketing principles work, like they're probably headed to something like Clemson if they don't host. And like, ugh, that's just brutal. And, uh, you know, I, I like we're, we're concentrating on these mid-major teams, but the same can be said for Duke. You know, the same can be said for for UConn. You know, like there are a lot of teams like this, like BC, where like, can they host? Can they not host? Like, it would just be so much cooler if we knew that places like that were going to get postseason baseball. Without a doubt. All right, rant over. Um, <laughs> we obviously have a lot going on this time of year, uh, and we'll uh, we'll keep you updated on it all throughout. Uh, uh, over on the website, that's baseballamerica.com. We'll be back here with another episode of the podcast next week. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America College Podcast on your favorite podcasting app: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the Baseball America Podcast. Uh, frankly, I don't know what day it's going to be because uh, I'll be in Hoover, uh, but we'll we will carve out a time to podcast sometime uh, during next week, and we'll. Uh, that's why you got to be subscribed uh, so that it just pops right there into your phone. Uh, so make sure to hit the follow or subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G Flaherty. And until then, check out everything over at BaseballAmerica.com. So for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.